All right, am I unmuted? Good. Starting out good. <laughs> uh, so I got to say, the original plan was for me to run up on the stage and kick this box into the audience to show that I have no self-control. But look who it would have hit, the chairman of the elders. It's like, no, I won't do it. I do want to say, um, Todd and Charity Lasher from our Ross campus, they made these boxes. And um, can we give it up for them? Come on. And this visual. <clears throat> we, um, we took these, this idea with permission uh, from a church in California. And no offense to that church, but they look better. They look better. And it took such a long time for them to do it. So it's been such an amazing visual for, um, for our series and so happy that they did that. Um, so I'm Darren. I'm the worship pastor here at Ross. I haven't preached in three years. They haven't had me up here. In th- that should give you a good idea of how well I did last time. <laughs> Need a little time to, to heal. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I'm rusty now. I mean, last time I preached, I was in my 30s. Um, so now, I want to say this. This summer, for me, has absolutely flown by. I don't know. Tomorrow's August. Tomorrow's August, and the kids are going to be back to school, and it's just incredible. And also, for me personally, this series has flown by. I have been so challenged with this series. It has... These fruits here on the stage, it, it, it's almost like God has been doing kind of a spiritual house cleaning on me a little bit, some of these fruits that have been so stagnant in my life, I feel like they're starting to blossom again. And uh, not to get emotional, but it has just been absolutely amazing. I was talking to Rich Jackson about a month before um, I was writing this sermon. It's amazing when you ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you need more love in your life and where you need to have more peace because that's the God we serve. Jesus is the Prince of Peace and where you need to have more patience and all those things. And so it's been wonderful. I hope it's been the same for you. But I do want to say this. This is my, my hope this morning and my number one prayer is that this would not just be the end of another series here at White Oak. That this would be the beginning of, of something collectively for you, for me, for all of us deciding that we're going to grow up and we're going to allow the Spirit of God to be the guiding influence in our lives. That this is the beginning of that. For all of us. And I don't know if you've been here for all nine weeks. If you have, you have all your travel stickers. We've been giving those away. That's great. Maybe it's your first week. Hello, online audience. Don't want to forget you. Um, or maybe it's been hit and miss because it's summer. But um, just to review, the goal of every follower of Jesus is to grow up in maturity in Christ, to grow up in maturity in Christ. This is what Paul's addressing in Galatians chapter 5 when he talks about these fruits here that are um, supposed to be blossoming in our lives. When we come to Jesus Christ, two incredible, just spiritual things happen. Number one, it talks about it in Acts 2.38, we receive forgiveness of our sins. So we are pronounced not guilty. Every sin we have ever committed, it goes to Jesus. We're found not guilty. God punishes him in our place. Everything we've ever done wrong, all punishments um, that were supposed to go on us, go on him. And then number two, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is God, okay, the Spirit of God making a home inside of us, guiding us to living a righteous life, a life against our old selves, our human nature that's corrupted by sin. We leave that behind. The Spirit of God gives us the supernatural power that we need to cure us from our sin sickness. That's what happens when we come to Jesus Christ. Nathan, Link, or Nathan Hinkle, our um, lead pastor, talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He said, to keep in step with the Spirit and to experience his work in your life, there are some crucial points we must know. I want to throw these up on the screen for you. Number one, Number one, the Holy Spirit nurtures 
excuse me, grows and matures these fruits in us. We can't work harder on these to get better at them. We must trust in the Spirit of God for our success. So I don't know about you, I, I grew up in a home where hard work was emphasized. My mom and dad really, really emphasized that. It's benefited me greatly because I have a strong work ethic. Um, it's also hindered me because I've struggled with being a workaholic my whole life. It's been something that I've, I've asked the Spirit of God, Lord, Lord, Lord God, Holy Spirit, take this away from me and move me, move me away. And I'll talk about that um, a little bit later. But um, I, I grew up with this belief, and I still believe it today, that if you're born in this country, you might be dealt a bad hand. If you're born in the United States, you might be dealt a bad hand. You might have barriers in your life that keep you from being successful initially. You might not even be the smartest person in the room. But if you work hard and have a good work ethic, you can have a pretty nice life here. You really can. I've seen that my whole life. As opposed to the country where we adopted my daughter from, we adopted a little girl from a country in Eastern Africa, small little place, beautiful. I lived there for a while, still have a lot of friends there. And, and you know what I saw? Is that you can have three master's degrees, you can be really smart, you can work your tail off. And at the end of the day, have nothing to show for it because there are no systems in place in that country that reward you for that work. That's not the case here. And so what we do, we try to take all of our successes that are based on our work ethic and we try to apply it to our spiritual life. And it doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. I know a lot of you personally, I see you in the audience, I know that so many of you are successful at school and at your job, and in business, and in life. And what we do is we take everything that made us successful there, and we say, that's going to work for me in my spiritual life. And I've been a pastor for 20 years. Every church I've ever worked for, all the small groups I've been in, all the friendships I've made, all the counseling sessions I've done, the same thing comes up. Darren, I'm trying, I try, I try. I cannot get rid of this sin in my life. I can't do it. I've tried so hard. I, I just, I want to get rid of it, and I can't. And I'm like, I know. I know, me neither. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Put that up there, Brent. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. From Zechariah 4, 6, from the Old Testament. Here's one from the New Testament. Let me read it for you. Philippians 2, 13. It is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good. Every godly thing we do, every godly thing, every choice we make is the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. It's not our work. And then number two, throw it up there, Brent. There is a war happening between our sinful nature and the spirit. We have desires which are contrary to what God wants to develop in us so we can experience a full life in Jesus. So if there's this war going on between our sinful nature and the Holy Spirit, and we know the battle isn't against flesh and blood, and we need the Spirit of God to be active in our lives, how do we give him greater prominence? What do we do? I'm going to give you four things right off. I, I don't want to beat around the bush. This is the last week of the series, so we're going to do it. I'm going to give you four ways, um, four things that God has given us that you can engage in that will allow the Spirit of God to have a greater prominence in your life, more of a controlling influence. Um, a louder voice. Number one. Number one, prioritize church. Prioritize church. This isn't legalism. 
God has given us this. I said I've been a pastor for 20 years. I, I have never personally seen in any of the churches that I've worked, I've never seen a family, an individual, or a couple that, hasn't, that, that has stopped prioritizing church that either hasn't lost their faith completely or had their faith severely damaged. I can't give you one example. There is something amazing when we come together, when we sing praises to God's name, lyrics that are based on the word of God. We hear a message from the word of God. We take communion together. We're reminded that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We give our offering. We're reminded that everything that we have is God's. It's not ours. We see baptisms. We see life change. There is something amazing about these environments. Number two, number two, do life with other Christians. Get in that life group this fall. Don't, don't say no again. Get in that life group this fall. Get in that Bible study. Do that men's thing or that women's thing. Have coffee with that Christian friend. I'm not, I'm not saying to ignore your other relationships. But those of you who have engaged in those environments, there is, there is something powerful. There are spiritual moments that happen when you prioritize those things. Number three, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. I mentioned that I was a workaholic. I remember about 11 years ago, I, I, my wife and I had just had our first child. And I was meeting with a group of guys on a weekly basis. It was, it was just an awesome time in my life. But I remember confessing to that group of guys as we were talking about what we're struggling with. And I, I said, guys, I said, I could just work all the time. I don't, I don't ever feel the need to go home. All the time, I, I could just stay here. And those guys were like, man, you, you need to go home. You need to be there. And so they prayed for me in that moment. I still remember. And because of that prayer, that was the moment where the Spirit of God began to bring me closer and closer to the place where I needed to be. And ever since then, by, by, because of that prayer and other people praying for me and, and me crying out to the Spirit of God saying, please, please help me here. It's been so much easier to go home over the last 10 years. I, I can now drop what I'm doing and be where I need to be because of the power of prayer. And number four, number four, read the Bible. Fill your mind and heart with the things that God loves. Be reminded of the things that he despises. And what's gonna happen, this, this incredible thing is gonna happen, it's gonna be amazing. As your conscience is renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, your desires will be aligned with God and you will see yourself growing closer to him and his will and his purposes will be more important to you. When we seek God through these means, this is our spiritual act of worship. Romans 12, one to two, let me read this for you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The fruit of the Spirit is the change in our character that comes about because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But we have to allow him to work. Those are four ways uh, where you can do that. So today we come to the last one, self-control. Here's the big idea. Let me throw that up for you. Control comes through the Spirit. Control comes through the Spirit. So when we're talking about self-control, I want to be clear. This is from a spiritual sense today. We're, we're not talking earthly or physical, but a lot of times we're human beings. We don't think spiritual right away. So I want to give you the best example I can think of. You probably know what it is, right? Potty training. <laughs> I mean, now, if you're a parent and you're going through this now, you know what I'm talking about? If you're not a parent, you went through it at some point. Thank goodness 
when we were born, there was a plan in place immediately, at least in the back of the parents' mind or grandparents, whoever raised you, there's a plan in place. You will learn self-control in that area. <laughs> what if, I mean, what if none of you were potty trained today? <laughs> Think of all the coffee you've consumed. <laughs> Could get real ugly in the middle of this sermon, right? If you didn't have self-control in that area. Thank goodness there was a plan in place. It's no different. It's no different when we become born again, right? Born again Christians. We don't stay spiritual babies forever. We grow. We mature. And we have to have a plan in place for self-control in our lives. It has to be there. So the Greek word translated self-control is enkratia, enkratia. So let me break this down for you. Derived from two Greek words, en and kratos. En means en. So you can think of, it's kind of an Indo-European language. looks a little bit like English. So en means en, and then kratos means strength or power. So spiritual self-control, what is it? This is the strength and the power we are given to choose godliness over sinfulness in every situation. I will choose his will over my will. I will choose what he wants over what I want. Sounds good, right, when a preacher says it to you? Sounds good on paper? It's tough in real life. The Spirit of God needs to be working with us to give us that power so that we can choose godliness over sinfulness. This involves the ability to say no to our human desires, our sinful and fleshly longings, because as we mentioned before, there's a war going on. There's our sinful nature, there's the Holy Spirit, there's a tug of war happening. And to have self-control means that we behave in a godly manner, how God would have us behave. And when you put yourself in a position where godliness can take root in you, godliness can take form in you, when you prioritize church and lean into those spiritual relationships and you're active in prayer and you're in God's word, these things happen. Romans 6.6 6 says this, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. We are going away from where we used to be and choosing another path with the Spirit of God as our guide. So in, in my life, there are billions of defeats in this area, so many defeats. Uh, but I want to share a victory story today because it'll make me feel better. So let's do that. This will be a victory story. <laughs> so um, I was called into ministry when I was eight years old. I spent the majority of my life running away from it. I don't know if you know the Old Testament story of Jonah where Jonah is called by God to do something and, and he doesn't want to, so God eventually has him thrown off of a boat. He falls in the ocean. A giant fish swallows him and spits him out, okay? I had been swallowed and spit out. So many, it's, the way I, it's the reason I look the way I do today. Um, <laughs> just over and over again. And I finally say yes to God. I'm, I'm gonna go into full-time ministry. And I'm leading worship at this little bitty church in Harrison, Ohio. I'm teaching at the Christian school. So our lead pastor, Nathan Hinkle, his wife, Denise, is teaching there a couple, a couple of days a week. Tom Brain, our missionary to Africa, he's teaching there. All right, this is before he went on the mission field. I'm borrowing his guitar on Sunday morning to lead worship at this church. He's got a nice guitar. My guitar's a piece of junk. But he finally says, Darren, I, I'm, I'm needing the guitar. And it's probably something he was doing at White Oak, you know. I need the guitar on the weekend. I, I can't let you borrow it anymore. And I'm like, oh, no, that means I have to spend money. And any of you who know me, I mean, I'm cheap. I, I, I never want to spend money. But I finally accepted this calling. And I know I have to have a nice guitar to lead worship on Sunday morning. So 
I, I decide I'm going to do this. Uh, so I get out the phone book, and I'm looking for a place where I can, where I can, you know, play one of these guitars. You know, try it before I buy it, basically. Um, sorry, a phone book was a stack of papers. It listed businesses. Um, too soon? Uh, so anyway, find this place <laughs> down West Galbraith Road, close to Cloverneck Country Club, called Buddy Rogers Music. All they sell now is trombones and trumpets and stuff. But back then... They had the guitar that I wanted. I walk through that door. The first thing I see, I'm, I got a friend of mine with me. The first thing I see is an entire row of guitars that I wanted. And in that row was the most beautiful thing. You, I, I saw this guitar, angels started to sing. It, unbelievable. I must have been drooling because the salesman is like in my grill. And I'm, you talk about exercise and self-control. Um, I'm like, dude, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to buy today. I just, you know, I'm, I'm just looking. I don't want to play. So I start playing these guitars. Of course, the first one I pick up is the angel guitar. I, I, I strum the first note. The angels sing louder. This must be it. Light, beautiful, wonderful. The other guitars kind of look like toms. They're kind of regular. But I'm playing all these things, and I sort of narrow it down to two. One is, you know, the angel guitar. The other one is this kind of plain-looking guitar. But I, I promise you, they sounded exactly the same. There was no difference in the sounds. And it became very clear. It's probably the Holy Spirit planting the seed. It became very clear that the only reason I was going to buy the angel guitar was to show it off to people. That was the only reason that was going to happen. Um, the angel guitar, $1,200 more than the regular guitar. Now, I want to be clear. I had the money for both. This is before I had kids that took all my money. Um, are my kids, there's no kid, good, thank goodness. Um, hopefully not next service either. I had the money for both, and I don't know what to do. So in that moment, because this is the big purchase, right? This is, the, this is the purchase after I said yes. So I'm praying uh, to God, and, and almost immediately, and, and this is an amazing time in my life, the Spirit of God begins to guide me in this. And it, it goes a little bit like this. Darren, I, I'm so glad you finally said yes to me. Um, and I'm having these feelings. I'm going to do incredible things through you with this guitar. W with this guitar. Because if, if you buy that one, you know, the one where the angels are singing, you're going to be serving me and yourself. And we're not going to do that today. And I, I mean, I can still feel, I mean, the emotion because the spiritual weight that fell off me in that moment when the decision was made for me, I, I tell you, it was, it, was, it was incredible. I wish I could describe it to you. And I, I wish I could tell you the incredible things God has done through me with that guitar. It's the guitar I play almost every week here on the stage. If you come every week, it sounds better than the day I bought it. It's been a ministry partner for 18 years. It's been wonderful. It's been incredible. And, and so many times I think back, would my ministry have been as blessed if I had ignored God in that moment? I, mean, I, I don't know, but I know in that moment he wanted to be in charge. The spirit of God wanted to be in charge. And the freedom that comes from saying, God, you be in charge. You take this one. You take it this time. I want you to take it off my shoulders because I get so weary of trying. I get so weary of doing it on my own. Spirit of God, guide me. 
See, when the flesh is in charge, the results are obvious. Throw that up there for me, Brent. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But when the Spirit is in control, he produces godly qualities within us, and now we walk by the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there are no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Self-control doesn't limit us, folks. To the contrary, it frees us to follow God more closely. So our big, our big idea, don't forget, control comes by the Spirit. So that's my victory story, all right? Lots and lots of defeats, folks. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching this message to myself. Lots of defeats. And the last story I wanna share with you, and, and this is a story from the Bible, and, and in my opinion, the most heartbreaking story in the Old Testament. I don't wanna assume that you know the Bible, just really quick. The Bible is two parts. There's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a man named David who is featured prominently uh, in the Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus comes from his family. So the Old Testament is very interested in David, very interested in his family because Jesus comes uh, from this line. It says here that David was a man after God's own heart. He walked closely with God throughout his life. God even loved him so much that he gave him the promise of sending Jesus through him. And if you have read any stories of David, you know that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit constantly to do incredible things. But there's a time in his life where he did not exercise self-control. There was a time in his life where he was not walking closely with the Spirit of God. He was out of his normal routine. The biblical writer shows that he was not in step. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna read this passage. It's a long passage, but I, I wanna read it because I think it's important, and then we'll, we'll break it down uh, after that. But um, let me show you this story. This is a story of David and Bathsheba. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army, laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of his bed, was walking on the roof of the palace. He looked out over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Then she returned home. Later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent a message to David saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then Uriah, then he told Uriah, go home and relax. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah hadn't gone home, he summoned him and said, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah said, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah, they're living in tents, and Joab 
my master's men are camping out in the open fields. How can I go home and wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I would never do such a thing. Well, stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you can return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next, and David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle's fiercest and pull back so he'll be killed. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Yeah, let, let me say, I, I know that when they put the Bible on TV or when they make a movie of the Bible, that they sanitize stuff so that, so that families will watch it together, you know, you know, moms and dads and kids. But if you film this the way it's written, this is a Game of Thrones episode. <laughs> I mean, it, it, this is nuts. I mean, in order, you're talking coveting and lust and adultery and and drunkenness, and murder, and a scandal, and a cover-up, and, and you're sitting there, you're reading this, and you're thinking, this is, this is the David that killed Goliath? This is the David who King Saul went after, and he survived? This is the David that wanted to build the temple for God, a permanent place to worship? This is the David that danced in his underwear, and that's another good story, in front of Israel? I mean, because he was so happy. This, this is the same, I mean, this is the same guy? And, and I, I think it's so obvious here, the biblical writer is showing us, that David, he's out of control here, man. I mean, he is not doing the things he always does. I mean, the kings go off to war, okay? He stays home. And, and they're, they're winning the battle, and he's not there. And they're laying sieges, and he's taking naps. And it, it's like, what, was he sick? Did, did he not want to? I, I don't know. But I, I think it's very, very safe to assume after reading this that David's not doing his normal routine and that his spiritual life is out of routine as well. He's off track because the David that killed Goliath and, and, and did all those other things, he, he never would have done that if he was in step with the Spirit. His life was out of control. And control comes through the Spirit. And I mean, the consequences are severe. I don't know if you know much about the Old Testament. After this happens, the kingdom is torn apart by two civil wars, both of David's sons, two of his sons. They, they commit sexual sins like he did. They commit murder like he did. They both die. The baby that Bathsheba's carrying... That baby dies seven days later. And, and you're sitting there and, and you're reading this and you're saying, this is the family that Jesus comes from? This? Really? How? How is that possible? Well, because our God is awesome. That's why. And he can work through anything to make anything he wants happen. He can work through David. He can work through his family. He can work through you. He can work through me. He can work through sinfulness. He can work with us even when we're out of step with the Spirit. And let's be honest, none of us would be here today if we didn't believe in that hope. None of us would be here 
if we didn't believe that after everything we've done, everything we've done in our life, that we couldn't still come back to God. But that's what we believe. And it was no different for David. He came to a place of repentance after this. And he writes about it in Psalm 51. It's my favorite psalm. It has been since I was a kid. I want to share it with you. Psalm 51 says this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David's saying, I never want to be in a place again where I'm not walking with you, even though I'm ashamed and I'm sorry for what I've done. Help me to have joy and assurance that even though I did those things, God, you can still save me. See, when the fruit of self-control is blossoming in our lives, the things of God, his purposes become greater than our own. And this is the place David came back to, a place of obedience. And that's where God wants us. He wants us in that place of obedience this morning. Let me ask you something this morning as, as I close. What, what, if, what if David had been in step with the Spirit when he, walk, when he walked on, the, on that roof and saw Bathsheba? What would have happened? What if I hadn't been when I went to the guitar store? What would I have done? What, what would my ministry have looked like? I don't know. Can you think of times in your life where you wish that his guidance was there? When you're on the highway and that dude cuts you off and every single time he does, every single time this happens, you have to give him a gesture. You have to say something. You have to think something bad about him. You've tried and tried and tried and you cannot stop. That's just who you are. But what if in that moment the Spirit of God was so strong within you, you could be led to a different place? What if it looked like this? In that moment, the Spirit of God was so strong, and, and this came to your mind. You know that guy that cut you off? Five minutes before he cuts you off, his wife came to him in the kitchen and said, I'm done. I'm done. And his 25 years of marriage down the drain, he doesn't know if he's ever going to see his kids again. He doesn't know what his financial future looks like. Top it all off, 10 minutes before um, um, he left the house, his boss called him and said, if you're late to work again, you're fired. That's the guy that cuts you off. And he didn't need another gesture. He needed someone to pray for him. He got 15 other gestures from other people. He needed someone to pray for him in that moment. What if the Spirit of God was so strong that that happened? In every instance of your life, when you have the opportunity to choose godliness over sinfulness, you're walking so closely that all of these things just bubble up, that, that self-control becomes the guiding influence. And I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're in the guitar store or on the roof of the palace. I don't know where you are, but I, I know this. There is always room for the Spirit to have a bigger place in our lives. So today as we close, and I, I, I want to I lead all of us into a place of, of David repentance this morning. Where we say, Spirit of God, empower me to live the way you want me to live. I want the Holy Spirit to have a bigger voice in my life, a greater prominence in my life, a greater controlling interest in my life, take charge of my life. It's time today to begin to walk with the Holy Spirit in that way. Thank you for giving me the church, God. Thank you for giving me other Christians. Thank you for the power of prayer. Thank you, Lord, 
so much for your word. And uh, I, I want to do this today. I want to bring out um, that guitar I talked about. Isn't she a beauty? 18 years. And um, incredible things. It was, so much, it was so much more about this guitar in that moment, wasn't it? It's amazing. I'm going to sit on the stage here, and, and if you don't know Jesus, I, I want to invite you to put your faith in him. Chris is going to be down here. You can come up. You can accept Christ today. I, w- I want you to do that. If you, if you want to put your faith in Christ, please do that today. Um, if you're a believer today, I want to offer this time for you to come back to a lifestyle. As Kyle mentioned last week, as we're yielding more and more to the Spirit of God, I want to bring us to a place of repentance. I'm going to play this song. We played it at church camp when I was a kid. It's based on Psalm 51. And um, I want to say this. If you want to close your eyes this morning, if you want to bow your head, there's room in the back. If you want to get on your knees and lay prostrate before God, no one's going to judge you. If you want to lift your hands, wherever and the however, I want you to let the words of David bring you to the place where you need to be spiritually this morning. Let's lower the lights and let's do that now together. You want to accept Christ. Chris is here. Let's come back to a place of obedience. Let's come back to where David was. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. Father God, may this not be the end of a series. May this be the beginning of a lifestyle where, Holy Spirit, you are the guiding influence in our lives. Produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Thank you for bringing us back to a place of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.